call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to the Call It Friendo podcast, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donna Katirnan, watched The Square and The Lobster. This podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Enjoy! Yeah, well, what I did, and so I was... (laughs) I was going to just read the synopsis, but what I found instead was uh, this is Ruben Ostlund, the director, talking about the plot of the film. That's pretty much sums it up. That, I just, there's not it. really a lot more that I can add. I couldn't have said it better myself. This would be a short episode this week. <clears throat> Yeah, I think so. Well, okay, so The Square, yeah, so The Square is a 2017 satirical film written and directed by Ruben Östlund. Ruben Östlund and starring Kles Pang, Elizabeth Moose, uh, Dominic <laughs> Wast, and uh, Terry Notari. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Moss, Dominic West, and I believe it's Terry Notary, which is yeah, a, yeah, it's Terry Notary, like a strange name. Notary. <laughs> the film is about uh, a curator, Bang Class Bang. <laughs> He's got a great name, Class Class Bang. Class Bang, yeah. Strugg- Class Bang, who struggles with various personal issues, including the theft of his mobile phone and affair with a journalist, played by Elizabeth Moss. Amid these distractions, a controversial promotional video for an art installation is published without his oversight, threatening his career and sparking a debate about the freedom of expression and political correctness. As you said, the film was entered into the 2017 Cannes Film Festival, where it received both positive reviews and won the Palme d'Or. It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film at the 90th Academy Awards. And did not win. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm gonna step that, in. That that about sums it up. Yeah, I'm gonna step in right away and say I would have thrown <clears> all <throat> the fucking awards at this. I absolutely loved this. Um, I wanna, I wanna start off by, ju- I just wanna ask you: Did you recognize anything of the world of the film? Have you experienced anything of this world? You mean in terms of how it portrays art and the, the art, art world? world? Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a big art enthusiast i don't go to art galleries that frequently so that's when i read some of the reviews and some of the think pieces about the film they were talking about how it's like a biting satire of the art world but i guess i'd already assumed that the art world was like this and that's how i'd always viewed it so i just kind of was like okay it seems like a documentary yeah you see it I, like i entered didn't a... seem like it was controversial have you seen dan gilroy's film uh, velvet buzzsaw <clears throat> No, I haven't watched Velvet Buzz. Don't bother, it's rubbish. But um, would you just completely write that film off right there? Yeah, just write it off. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> Nobody. Uh, Nightcrawler is one did... of the greatest films of the last yeah, 20 I, years. Yeah, I love, I love, I indeed, I love Nightcrawler. Genuinely, well, I think it's it. one of the best films of the last 20 years. Yes. But um, I tell you, any film that involves the art world is automatically labeled a send up of the art world. And generally speaking, f- across many, many movies, um, from. The Big Lebowski to 
true lies even anybody associated with the art world or the or an art dealer for example is just a sniveling horrible character just uh, intended to be very representative of like the vacuousness of bourgeoisie middle class life etc um so i think that whenever people label this a send-up of the art world they might have been jumping the gun a bit because it i don't think this this film was judging the art world too harshly or anything i mean it was all a little bit innately ridiculous but i feel that's just how this guy writes to be honest i felt the the major takeaway with the way for me from this film is this guy writes uh sitcom situations but the characters play it out as as real and it's hilarious just without the gags um, I because f- I mean this is the only Ruben Ruben Östlund. Yeah. This is the only Ruben Östlund Oost, film that. Okay, I'm going to start saying Ostlund. Yeah, just this say is Ostlund. the only Ruben Östlund film that I've watched so far. So I haven't seen Force Majeure. So I was just approaching this purely on its own merits. I have no idea how it fits within his filmography or or how he how he usually writes films. Well, I've only seen so what, I mean, how, Force Majeure. Yeah, well, but well how, does, how does this compare to Force Majeure I in terms of the, the tone or style or anything? It's very, very similar. It's very, very similar. The way he, the way he shoots, the, the scenes he sets up for his characters, but his characters are all perfectly real. Also, for, Force Majeure, um, like this, was inspired by a number of events, real-life events, just kind of uh, clipped together, and he right. basically inserted... I think fairly realistic seeming characters into the mix and let it play out as it would. Um, I think like one of the things I read in reviews for this was that it seemed to be biting off more than it could chew and it tried to have a pop at so so many different things. But I just thought, uh, I I don't think there was a real through line as to what he was getting at. There's There's one or two very legitimate themes that pulsate all through it. But for the most part, I just found it to be just wandering around this kind this guy's life a little bit which i was perfectly happy to do i thought it was great fun yeah uh christian certainly has an interesting life and it builds up through a series of events so i guess we should go back to the start well yeah the start film well first of all in the opening credits when you hear that club music rising even like as even as a drinker the the sound of uh, that music it, it would have, <laughs> would have sounded like hell to me i just fucking that is uh, it, that it's very swedish that, it's exactly the kind of music that i imagine swedes listening yeah, to yeah that's fair that's fair. have you spent much time in sweden i've uh, a couple of years ago i went to stockholm and then took a train down to malmo spent a few days in stockholm and it is i mean have, have you been sweden have you spent any time there uh, yeah, but I I was twenty one, so it doesn't even count. Like it just wasn't a significant human. I'd like to go back. I think uh, I it seemed like a fairly cold place. I just mean in terms of the people. Um, it doesn't seem like it has a lot of soul or emotion on display. The portrayals of the characters in the film. When I was watching, I was like, yeah, this seems very Swedish. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that it conforms to all stereotypes. Like, I'm, and to be fair, the 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 Nordic countries are um, some of the few countries left in the world that you can just lob every piss taking you would like at them. 
um and uh, their their defenseless yes, really yeah they're 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 as they're as white they're as white and as european as as uh, as you come you know there's that's they're they're pretty much asking for it um yeah i it's starting so the off... film opened with the square the actual square right yeah that's right the um the I, setting of it that's uh, they show the the boys constructing it and that actually that sequence particularly reminded me a lot of force majeure force majeure is set in mm. like a ski resort and there's just there's whole sections of the film just watching processes happening around the hotel and the resort with ski lifts and so forth um but no then i i then i know I, th- I think just before that is when he first meets elizabeth moss which is oh that's right it opens with elizabeth well it opens with uh class paying it opens with christian waking up on the sofa mm. and he immediately speaking swedish and i was like oh yeah i hadn't really thought about this this is a foreign language film essentially mm. because i'd thought wait uh elizabeth, elizabeth moss, moss and, and dominic yeah. west are in this it's going to be all english like so he's speaking his swedish and then there's it's a really jarring moment where he sits down for the interview with her, with the, the character of Anne, and he immediately switches to his 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 English, which is uh, it's really surreal how Nordic people can do that. He just switches to his like. Yeah, I yeah, don't think I've I ever met a Nordic yes, person that didn't speak perfect English. Yeah. What are they putting in the water up there? That scene actually, and, I don't know. Is it meant to be a gag? But when like he's clear, we we. He pulls off the morning face well, but we know he's dying of a hangover, possibly a drug hangover. And uh, he, uh, she just, just body slams him with this question, this insane question about exhibition and non-exhibition spaces and super. Is is the question insane, or is the like what they've set up insane? Is she? She. It seems to me that she's just trying to find some sanity. Well, clearly, over the course of the film, her character doesn't seem the most sane. But I feel like what she's asking about is already ridiculous. Oh, like, yeah, I don't no, know. I, I would be entirely like... Yeah, I'm, so like I'm, everyone I'm, is... I'm speaking subjectively from Christian's point of view. Right. That's just got to be the last thing okay, you want to okay. hear right then, you know? Yeah, because... But I think, I think it just establishes him immediately as like a total bullshit artist, which is carried on throughout the film. You think he's a total bullshit artist? I would say so. I think... Over the course of the film, I mean, he, there are okay, he that, tries. Yeah. I, 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 he it, tries, but like the fact uh, when he's like uh, rehearsing his speech and then, oh yeah, like puts, he goes like, if I could just speak a bit, you know, I feel a bit. It doesn't feel very natural. If I could just, yeah, yeah I'm gonna yeah. put my notes away, and he's like rehearsing that kind of corny bullshit. Yeah. So the the exhibition, the square, that. Does that actually mean anything in terms of the film, do you think? Because, hold on, well, we'll put some context on the exhibition, the square. It's, the idea is, I, I, I should have the quote here with me somewhere. I don't have the direct quote, but basically, if you enter into the square, you have a responsibility. You're, you're responsible for your behavior. Anyone who's in the square, you basically have to uh, respect and protect anyone uh, anyone else who's in the square so it's about some kind of having some kind of social responsibility yeah and that's hinted exactly. at all throughout the film it's a sanctuary of trust and caring within it we all share equal rights and obligations that's the that's the exact quote so i suppose the the, the square in that case in the in the world of the film is kind of the 
the middle class bougie uh, social circles they wander around in because one thing that, that I would refer to these themes that are concrete all the way through the movie and one of them is definitely that j- just like like the poverty that's dotted around the city and so forth um is kind of waiting there like a sense of imminent violence or confrontation for ev- for everybody in there um and like I, I think that's one thing that that uh, Uslan's way of writing these sitcom-like situations um, mm-hmm. just really lends itself to... Because, for example, the the scene... Okay, so to, again, give some context. His He gets interrupted on the street. It's a confrontation. It's real. It's not like the, the art that we've sort of seen them flogging or whatever. This is a, a real thing. And you can cut... He's there saying, oh, my heart is pounding and everything. And you can instantly relate to that. Transpired, his wallet's been uh, stolen. So, then so yeah, this indeed, yeah. His Him and his colleague uh, get all giddy uh, and get the idea to write... Because they, they've used the Find My iPhone app or whatever and they've located it to a building. So they opt to leave threatening letters in the letterboxes of to every resident every in resident building. in this building so then it like and they're very very giddy and again this is this is very sitcom stuff this would this would uh win yeah. medals in the seinfeld uh, writing room yeah cause even on the way over there they're having a conversation and then like turning up the music to cranking up their mm. horrible swedish dance music up to 11 and getting all fired up lads lads on tour Going over to the building. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's absolutely hilarious, all of that stuff. And then they get there, um, and again, there's more funny stuff. That uh, is, uh, that's very, very, I I can't put my finger on it, but it reminds me of some kind of a British sitcom. Do do you know what it is? It is, it's very like the series one of I'm Alan Partridge, where they go to steal a traffic cone. There's a lot of that energy. I like uh, I like uh, Christian. <laughs> Christian goes full on Alan Partridge at, at at various points. I like the part where um, he gets so when they arrive at that building, they get out of the out of the car, and then uh, Christian because he doesn't he's scared to go into the building because he's a semi well known figure in society, which I find it hard to believe. Yeah, that people he's, know he's scared. The guy from the museum is. He, I'm scared, Michael. So he gets <laughs> he gets his employee, his his assistant. He borrows his bomber jacket, and his assistant is called Michael as well. And uh-huh. then uh, he leaves he leaves his assistant in the car, which says "cock piss Ostland." I don't know what his surname <laughs> is. So yeah, <laughs> and as he's leaving, as he leaves the Tesla, he says to his assistant, "Cool." cool oh no, but no. Then he, but then he comes back and says, uh, "Yeah, no, no." He no, he's. <laughs> He he says he says cool, and then in the subtitles it just says that's cool, that's cool. <laughs> no, I wasn't referring to that. I was referring to when he goes back and just go. Uh, so uh, I, I I you kind of let me down here. I'm just wondering, can, uh, <laughs> can I trust you in in work after yeah. this? Is that yeah, okay. yeah. that's mad? That I'm is. Not, I'm not sure that it is full partridge. That is fu- uh, that's full blown partridge, and it's also like. What a just a I, as much as I liked Christian, and I actually did quite like the character Christian. I was like, that is such a shyster of a move, isn't it? Who do you think you are? <laughs> well, yeah, there's I like uh, there's a scene later on where he's talking to Elizabeth Moss, where I feel like he he does a good job of channeling some partridgeisms. I have a little I have a little clip right here actually to play. Oh, let's hear it. 
Do you just go have sex with just anybody? Excuse me? Do you just go have sex with lots of other women? Um... <laughs> Is this something that you do a lot? Kind of private question, isn't it? Uh, well, so is being inside me. Pretty private, so... But where's the, uh, connection there? I'm... <laughs> he says, I love his, uh, line delivery. It doesn't, he, it doesn't really work without seeing his face. Because he's got, he's got, uh, really coo He has got Coogan face nailed for his kind of exasperated facial expressions when he's in these awkward conversations, when he goes full partridge. Um, yeah, I, I, I movie, movie, like the, uh, one other thing there, there, there's something very partridge about him running around that building with that bomber jacket on, uh, <laughs> all huddled over. But also that scene jumps from, I, I, I felt very middle class watching it because that scene jumps from quite funny to, I'm honestly a little bit scared with him running around these darkened corridors. Like, yeah, I find that this, I find that quite hard to believe. Like I, I was struggling to picture the bad neighborhoods of Stockholm from the little experience I had in Stockholm. I was trying to picture like the rough housing estate there, which yeah. I think for Swedish people means there are brown people there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, one thing that, as I said, I was a non-human when I went to Stockholm, but one thing I remember taking very uh, big note of is that I couldn't see any homeless people anywhere. And that is not an issue that Stockholm has in this uh, film because uh, homelessness is a, a visual motif that runs through it. Yeah. Start to finish. They, they like, he likes to cut to uh, scenes of homeless people lying in the street. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I think uh, Christian is actually fairly straight up with most of the homeless people he encounters. He, d he, he doesn't really ignore any of them. He, he'll tell them he doesn't have cash or give him a sandwich with onions in it, whatever. He gives one lady yeah, I mean, a, a bunch of money yeah. when his... Even when she, she's incredibly arsy with him, which, again, is yeah. maybe understandable. But, like, I certainly wouldn't have had the patience that he, he shows even. But, yeah, Although I he like does, that. I, he the, he the, whacks the, down the sandwich and goes, pick the onions out yourself. The, the, fi the film isn't uh, preachy when it comes to that kind of thing. I think it just sort of... Uh, yeah it presents them jo just like sort of furniture mm -hmm. in the city which is right. like yeah a very cold uh, gaze of the of the swedes there upon the homeless but i mean it does actually speaking of speaking of cold gaze uh <laughs> i found it that i just i wasn't sure at the start where they were going with it and i just got the feeling that christian was about to pounce on both of the men he was in scenes with early on I don't know why, but like the the reaction I got, like after he was mugged and he was talking to the other man who witnessed the mugging, I really got the feeling that he was going to ask him to go for a coffee. And when he's sitting <laughs> writing the letter with his assistant, Michael, <laughs> he, he really has the vibe that he's just about to. I don't know if what this says about me or Ruben Östlund. But you have p picked up on a major partridge note that I can't ignore now. Every time you're bringing up scenes, that scene in the street where he gets mugged is very partridge. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, my heart, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that is absolutely it. I like that. That's what. That's one thing that I I quite like. Like, okay, so they might say it's a send up of the vacuousness of the the art world and the middle class and so forth. But God bless him, Christian seems to have himself a very fun time. How do you explain, like, what's your feeling about uh, filmmakers who just take events from their life and just weave them into, because weave them into a film 
Because this, I don't, again, I don't know the rest of Ruben Oslin's work, but it feels like he's just tried to create a narrative around some stuff that's happened to him. It didn't happen to him, it just just happened, really. Oh, but I feel like the, I think the mugging happened to him. Oh, that actually did, yeah, Um, yeah, that happened to him. Yeah, but the, the, he created, so with the um, co-writer on the film. Uh, Did he have a co-writer? No, not a co-writer. So he produced the uh, an actual physical version of the square uh, previously, which was done with the producer called Kali Berman, uh, who is was not the producer on this film, but was a produ- who was a producer on Force Majeure. And had been on a lot of other stuff. He's a bit older. But uh, hold on, I'm, I'm like, I'm not following you here. He produced an actual of the square. So, Ostland created and exhibited the square in a museum. Okay. He actually made he made a square. Oh, okay. So it was also it was an actual art project. All right. So this is based on something that they actually did. Yes, they entered an installation into the Vandalora Museum in Varnamo in 2014. Oh, wow, okay. And in their artist statement, they wrote, The square is a sanctuary of trust and caring. Within it, we all share equal rights and obligations. I don't know, I suppose how I feel about this kind of... Yeah, because actually, now that I remember it, the Tourette scene happened as well, as I I remember reading. Yeah. Um, they did. It ha- that was like a famous thing that apparently happened uh, in a Swedish uh, like interview of some art expo. Um, but anyway, uh, oh, that's that scene is so funny as well. In Gothenburg, apparently, um, uh, also it was something that. Uh, but I mean, what what other film? Yeah, some, some, something in theater apparently happened in Swedish theater. That Noah Baumbach did that. Has done that twice i think he did that with yeah, the, the squid, squid and the whale, whale and marriage story biographical um, yeah well if it's autobiographical if it's actually i don't know if it's telling a series of vignettes or if you're trying to you know like i just mean like weaving it into some other narrative or well i think it's i think if you can make it i guess work, maybe, maybe that's great. what a lot of writing is anyway isn't it i think if you can make it work great i mean for example like like I, i've read a few of um Jack Kerouac's uh, books, and not just the mm-hmm. um, the the big famous one on the road. Um, and I, I've happened to read two other ones, that, uh, the Dharma Bums and Big Sur, that are both uh, very thinly veiled um, versions of things that happened in his life. And I've read some of his direct fiction, and the the stuff based on his life is just so much better. Um, I think just some people work better like that. Uh, B- Bukowski was is another one like uh, mm-hmm. the, all of the like Ham and Rye and Post Office and all of his books right. all very much happened to him. Uh, Truffaut mm-hmm. used to work like that too, I suppose. But in the case of this, like Ostland, I think it, it, um, I enjoy it even even more so. I'd say I think the uh, Force Majeure. There's two incidents in in a particular that uh, the the incident that kicks off the the film, which is mm-hmm. a father running away from his family during an avalanche, and a woman getting off a bus while it's trying to descend a particularly steep hill that made a YouTube clip. Those two incidents combined inspired him and felt he really made it work. And I feel like all the real life stuff that he based this on, he made it work. It's 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 a really really it, it works as a coherent piece. I don't. No coherent in what way, 
I guess this it is just his style. It all works together. I, I assume this is just his style of filmmaking, of writing. I mean, that's great. It's fine. Everybody I wants just to feel fuck that... uh, Elizabeth Moss characters in TV and, and cinema. Yeah, I was wondering a little bit about, like, why do you think Dominic West and her took this film on? Because oh. when I saw their names, they were heavily promoted in terms of the, the casting, the cast list, the credits. It looked like... And Dominic know, West it's, it's is in co- it for... It looks like it's co-starring all three people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, I basically, very similar to what happened with the next film we'll discuss, basically this was his moment. A lot of people must have seen Force Majeure on the festival run and said, I want to work mm. with him. Uh, yeah, similar I thing guess happened with way. Nicholas finding Refn in the past, and right. I'm sure there's plenty other yeah. directors who it happened with. But uh, yeah, because I was thinking about it, because apparently they they reached out, they knew they wanted some English language uh, actors, so they reached out to a casting agent in London, and that's apparently how they got hold of Dominic West. I didn't realize that Elizabeth Moss is also also has a British passport. Neither I did I. I did not know that. Yeah, I just learned that today. She's got British passports uh, because one of her parents is uh, British. But also her her mother is of part Swedish origin. So I don't know if that influenced her choice. But it felt like a bit of a jolly as well. <laughs> it just feels like a nice holiday. Yeah. Because uh, apparent, like her, her apartment scene uh, was filmed in Berlin. So... <laughs> She got a nice little holiday to Germany as well as Sweden. It does have the look of Berlin. It feels like you go mm. out from outside in, in Stockholm to inside in Berlin. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Christian uh, Foxer, uh, in a very peep show kind of sex scene. Incredibly sweaty. Very sweaty. One of the sweatiest sex scenes that I can recall. Very sweaty. And uh, yes, and then we've got the uh, the cum gate. Now, initially, I basically <laughs> gate, thought... Indeed, 2020. I thought that he hadn't come and he didn't want to hurt her feelings. I immediately read this as a crazy middle-aged lady who wants to impregnate herself. And really? I still don't know. That was, that was my immediate reaction. Yeah, I feel like I read it the way that Christian did. But I don't know how that... I mean, I, don't, I assume that that's what Ruben Oslem was going for as well. Oh, I've heard so... The, 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 like, Sweden is rife with stories of... Lads acting weirdly with their cum. I'm thinking uh, particularly <laughs> of um, that. You, you know, so you're saying he was just hungry, or <laughs> no? <laughs> you know the Julian Assange story. I yeah. Let's not go to. I I'm vaguely aware, but uh, yeah. Well, we can avoid it if you want, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're already pressed. We might be pressed for time. Why not? Let's go into Assange's sex. Well, yeah. Basically, go. he a lady said, uh, "Hey, don't come." I thought and- he was Australian. He is, yeah, but this happened in Sweden. <laughs> oh, was, so it counts, okay. He was having sex with this, la- yeah, this cum stories in Sweden. <laughs> and uh, he this, he was having sex with this lady, and she said, hey, don't come on me, and he just did. And that's what they, that's what they want to arrest him for, by the way. Which is interesting. <laughs> Isn't that rape? <laughs> <laughs> like, if they were having sex, I don't know, is it? Like, that, like it's definitely I not think, cool. I, I think wouldn't it's do dodgy. That. It's oh, not cool. I, I, I it's do... not cool, kids. Don't do that. It, it's it's uh, no. It's not. A, it's it seems You're like bad. one of those uh, things that they'd uh, 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 like. Uh, eventually, they'd. It seems like something that they would let him off, but then write a caveat into the law, and that includes all coming right. in someone. I'm with... cutting. I'm cutting all of this. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> fair enough. 
it's too cold. It's too. It's too hot. <laughs> it is too hot. It's a little bit too hot, including the idea of Pamela Anderson and Julian Assange having sex in the Ecuadorian <laughs> embassy. Yes. Nice. Nice indeed. Nice. Um, yeah, it's sex scene. So wait, I have a peach, question yeah. about. Yeah, I, I included uh, around that sex scene. What's the deal with Elizabeth Moss having a monkey? She oh, yeah, I have that written down. I, I Can we address the bonobo? I have it written down here. Yeah. I have no idea what the, the fuck is going on there. Because <laughs> I, I think I assume it's just supposed to tie into the the later kind of major scene that the, the film seems to I think focus it's, on. I, I think it's a bit of a red around. herring. I think it's a bit of a red herring. Yeah. I think it, like... At, it, first, at first, I assumed it was some kind of hallucination. Yeah, 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 definitely. But then it shows her hanging out with the monkey later. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that uh, thought that too. Um, but I think it's, I think it's supposed to be a red herring. Um, sort of a, he's trying to make you um, do the thing that people do when they go to modern art museums and pretend they know what the fuck people are talking about. Uh, so mm. he's trying to make you have a guess, and you fell for it. I didn't. I said, I see your red herring. Ostland, oh right, okay, yeah. So I, it was that. it was like some kind of art installation that I didn't understand. No, I I was also like, what the what the h is is this monkey doing there? Um, yeah, and uh, then we had gross cum gate and everything. Then after that, we've got the two boys who are great. Actually, the the advertising boys, right? Uh, the advertising agency kids. Yeah, uh, talk uh, presenting their idea that. Um, this little Swedish beggar girl walks into the square and uh, then she gets hurt in some way. And actually he blows up for some reason. That guy is there. They don't say blow up in the in the in the pitch. That guy is there. Yeah, ju- because, yeah, they don't know. Right. That guy's there just twitching his hands and twitching his hands. And I was actually <laughs> taking in their pitch for the ad. And I thought then if the second she got into the square, if it just cut to black, that would have been a cut very a very effective ad. I, I I wrote down a pitch for those guys. I think what they eventually did was awful. Right. That wouldn't have got. Yeah, I don't, I didn't really, but I guess that was their. I mean, but is is that commentary just a commentary on what advertising will do to art? Is it that simple? Is it just really no? I don't. Marketing guys, or is it just? Putting this into Christian's life as another thing that he has to deal with. I think it's just putting up. it putting it into Christian's life, uh, basically. I think they're because just... he was more interested in solving the phone problem, so he just went like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 whatever. yeah, yeah." yeah. I, th- whatever I, I think that's. Want. I don't think they're trying to lampoon anything directly with that. As a matter of fact, I think he kind of underwrites the outrage of it in the scene later when Christian has to resign because of it. Um, with that journalist hmm. who looks suspiciously like Osland himself, maybe he plays him. Um, asking about uh, whether or not which is more important um, free speech or the offence that this has caused etc mm-hmm. uh, so I think eventually they underwrite uh, the outrage over that video um, yeah the um, there, there's one other thing I want to draw attention to uh, is just before they have that mad inside gallery seemingly MDMA party uh, can we just oh, give yeah. it up for so Christian makes his speech introducing one exhibition or other, I don't know, and then the chef comes along. What a hero. <laughs> I love that guy. I fucking love well, him. D- that's another but that's another moment where I felt like am I watching a sitcom or what like because the the chef 
comes on after Christian's made his, his speech and then he has to explain the lunch options and all the people in the gallery start going directly to the to the restaurant area, to the to the dining mm. area. And the chef gets pissed off and goes, Stop stop running. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And then that. he finishes off while he's saying, Yeah, but I just I don't know, that kind of thing, uh I don't know if just I was kind of questioning the purpose. Is it just a little kind of throwaway? It's just I, another little vignette, like another little throwaway kind of joke bit. Uh, I think it's it's not too far away from the reality. A chef would never like shout like that, but yeah, chefs. I I've known plenty of chefs in my life, and they would have been plenty annoyed by that. What you're disc- like, I think there's when you're like, no doubt it wasn't written exactly like that. And the chef just started delivering like that, and he was let take a line for a walk. I think, like, I I think sometimes that can work, and sometimes it doesn't. For 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 me, in this case, it did work. Um, like an example I can think of when it didn't work is let's see, you know, an Inherent Vice when Joaquin Phoenix all of a sudden looks. I still at... haven't watched Inherent Vice. Really? It's one. It's some. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's the only Paul Thomas Anderson film I haven't watched. And it's, it's his most list. difficult one. It's his The King of That's Limbs. That's why I haven't watched it. Uh, That's why I haven't watched it because it looks like hard work. It it is a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, moving on. Anyway, the kid who confronts them in the Seven Eleven is amazing. Yeah. Isn't he fantastic? Yeah, but I this is yeah, I also find his character incredibly annoying even though I agreed with him. I mean, he's clearly like, yeah, he's a really good child actor. Oh, I thought he was but great. I also find him I also find him incredibly annoying from the perspective of Christian even though Christian is in the wrong. Yeah. I'm not saying Christian is justified in pushing a little child down the stairs. But that's the middle class in you but screaming out. But I understand. Out. It is, 100%. Yeah, yeah. That's what a, I think the film is, does a great job what I'm of saying that. Is, what I'm saying is he stopped short of what he should have done. I think Christian should have taken it a few, a few steps further. Uh, so this is, the, this is the kid who has been... Um, yeah, because they delivered the me- the messages accusing the person of being a thief to all the doors. He's gotten into huge trouble with his parents. His parents think he's a thief. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, then the the kid keeps the kid. That kid is tenacious. He. Uh, I mean, I I do agree that Christian should have apologized immediately. Oh yeah. Why didn't he? I don't know. That's the thing that I don't understand. Because like, what does he have to lose? And later on, after he's already basically like attempted attempted to murder the child, he records like a selfie. He records a video on his phone mm. where he starts apologizing and then go and then goes like, "Well, in I guess it's society's fault, isn't it? After all, it's not really my fault. It's basically society that's to blame for this." <laughs> so I guess he just doesn't want to take responsibility for anything. Yeah, and God bless him. Christian has a good time, man. Except when he gets fired. Also, I'll uh, backtrack oh, yeah, from the yeah. getting fired. Um, were you surprised to learn he had kids? I was mad because he, he goes to the door as though he's about to be murdered or like the little kid, the little uh, um, Arab kid who he's already in a in an argument with has come to the door or something. You expect some some horribly dark thing to happen and then his two young daughters come into the come into the house screaming at each other and then christian immediately christian as the the younger daughter goes into her room 
Christian goes into the room after her and screams at her. It made me really uncomfortable. I can't how so because the way the the way that we'd already, the way that the Christian character had been set up, the reveal that he had children was kind of it come it feels like to me that it comes at a place where you're like, Oh no, this guy's got kids. Like, oh no. That's how that's how I read it a little bit. Maybe his anger the, I mean, I think that I think they dealt with it like straight away, but like because his anger against his daughter seemed seemed like way over the top. I feel like that's how. And the, I, I feel I, like I, I feel like the sentiment you're expressing. I'm gonna have to see that in people's eyes when I tell them that my girlfriend is pregnant. <laughs> I feel yeah. I'm gonna have to endure a lot of that. Only if you, only if you've wronged them somehow. I feel like I would certainly have that. They'll, they'll just they'll just be like, yeah, Rit, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, that uh, uh, blew me away somewhat. That he had uh, some kids, and he told them his little story about his Danish upbringing. I suppose to Swedish people, his Danish accent must be very obvious, but to me, uh, it, it obviously was not. For me, it all just sounds like uh, ABBA. It sounds like the band ABBA. Yeah, I don't. I, it's again. It's so strange because when he he switches into English, he really sounds like Jamie Lannister. He's got that Jamie Lannister, Nikolai Kostow Walder, Nikolai Koster Walder Waldo, uh, whatever his name is Jamie Lannister, as his real name is. Voice. They're all, well. They're they're what both. Are you they're talking both uh, about? hot pieces of ass. They're both. They're both Danes. They're both yeah. hot Danes. Baby. Hot Danes. Hot great Danes. I'm gonna surmise the film thus far before we get to the part that I really want to talk about. So. We have we got we got Christian. He's uh, the curator of a big successful art gallery. He's a bit of a bullshitter. He has a good time. Where's where's a scarf? He wears a scarf. He wears That's a scarf. He's a very know. scarf kind of guy. Uh, he get yeah. he's get he's getting a bit of a buzz out of his his tiny little brush with the, the with the underbelly of society. But now it's irritating it a bit, and he wants to leave it alone. And this kid who he has wronged with his threatening letters and gotten into trouble is following him around. And he just wants that out of his life. He's had sex with this uh, American journalist, Elizabeth Moss. He doesn't really mu- much care for that in his life, too. And all the while dealing with these superfluous issues in his life, he's kind of just brushed away his one job, which would have probably been to oversee the promotional video and make sure it was okay. And then, of course, that lands him in loads of trouble mm-hmm. because people hate it. And then we get to the opening of the square the exhibition uh which actually looks like it would be an interesting enough exhibition. it looks quite good yeah yeah yeah, from, yeah just it from looks the all right the way that they've lit it the way that they have the like just how they have that set up it actually looks quite good i think yeah i don't know I, I, I would have enjoyed, that was one thing as well as like in a in a film like velvet buzzsaw or again in the big lebowski the scenes that deal with the art world the art world just looks awful and like almost like a carnival, a carnival or something like that. Mm. But this, all of this stuff that I see in this gallery, it looks except for maybe the piles of gravel. Um, it, yeah, the pile. But I, I, that that's a great scene where the 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 cleaner is trying to drive his. Uh, like yeah, yeah, thing around between the between the piles of gravel, the gravel, and then accidentally kind of hoovers it up. Uh, yeah, although I, we don't see that. No, we don't see that. We just hear about it. But uh, yeah, I think I. Uh, I, I think the exhibition actually looks great, um, but nowhere near so good as the scene that made it onto the poster, and surely the scene that won at oh, the pound God, door. Yeah. It's one of the most mm. genuinely. It's one of the most electrifying things I've ever seen in a film. It is great. It's it is amazing. Great. 
I it was absolutely fucking amazing. Um, so this is uh, Terry Notari. Terry Notari Notary. <laughs> Terry Notary, yeah. Famous for playing monkeys is what I've read briefly the, about um, him. Planet of the Apes type shenanigans. And he, uh, he, I, I feel he delivers his magnum opus in this one. So it's based on a real piece of performance art, I gather. Some uh, art, some performance artist also called Oleg. Uh, Oleg, Oleg Kulik. Oleg Kulik. Uh, so uh, he performs as a dog, and he has attacked. He attacked people at a notorious event in Stockholm. And destroyed other pieces of art, I understand, as well. Mm. And originally, an important point about this is originally in the film, it was going to be a character based on Gigi Allen. Oh! So if, if people are not aware of who Gigi Allen was, he... Just leave it at that and don't, his don't, don't, don't look. <laughs> yeah, don't. You're best not uh, doing any research into who Gigi Allen was. But needless to say, it involved a bit of the old fecal matter. So, yeah, he was a... Uh, I feel like... He like was a fecal, Austin, hardcore like, punk rocker. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Ruben Oslin kind of let us off the hook a little bit with just having uh, Terry, Terry Notary running around. I've encountered here and, there, here and there in my life people who have intense admiration for Gigi Allen. I just think, what, yeah. a, what an awful piece of work this... Like, you seem like a, I, I seem like a pretty horrendous person. Oh, yeah, it's awful. The, the fellow, what's, what's the, the fellow's name? He directed um, Joker Todd, and the Todd Hangover. Phillips. Yeah, Todd Phillips. Yeah, made Todd a Phillips made a documentary about him. Of yeah. which I watched about twenty minutes of it, and I ju- I couldn't ju- I couldn't <laughs> stomach it. This piece of shit. Yeah, He's just an awful person. Um, yeah. ju- just like oh, no, g- gave nothing back to anybody. There's no boundaries mm. breaking down or anything like that. It's just awful. Um, even that, like, there's that song by that band from Los Angeles, uh, X. I think they're called. It's got a song called Frankie Teardrop that's just basically noise art rock. But they're going for something, you know? They are going Mm -hmm. for something. Fucking... Anyway, that's enough of my rant about Gigi Allen. But it's just... I Whenever I've encountered people that admire him so, I instantly make a judgment call about them. Yeah. Anyway, luckily luckily in this film, uh, this, this Terry Notary... Uh, played this Oleg character who did a, a, a an um, an amazing performance, a lifelike performance of a, a some kind of simian running around the room. Yeah, it starts out fairly innocent enough, funny, but mm. also it's it, it instantly feels dangerous. Instantly. Yeah, you get the feeling that things are perhaps going to go wrong pretty quickly. And like your man is committed enough, and also it's kind of the trajectory the film is taking as well. This feels like the um, what's the word I'm looking for? This feels like it's gonna it's gonna be the 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 peak of something. Um, well, I mean, as the scene progresses, like I was fairly sure that this was going to end in violence. I wasn't sure if they would play it for laughs. I mean. It got the it re, it reached a point where sexual violence was a was a real possibility, and I wondered how far Oslin was going to push it at that point. I don't know when he starts bothering uh, Dominic West's character. The, mm. I I could I could kind of sense it was gonna it was 
I, I felt sexual violence was on the cards, to be honest. <laughs> uh, not against uh, Dominic West, God bless him. Um, and by the way, I'm t- 1000% on Dominic West's side in that. How would you... Uh, so, how, so I just want to give context to listeners. This is a man, look, quite strong looking fella. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a muscular doing uh, a very, monkey man. Doing a very convincing uh, oh, oh. performance of a of a chimpanzee, and he's uh, got the he's he's got some kind of like short crutches that he's holding on the or they're attached to the ends of his arms yeah, so that to, he can so he can, can do the long arm thing. On his, yeah, he can walk around on his on his on his arms. And this guy is not is not breaking the fourth wall with anybody. He's a he's a monkey no. man. Uh, he starts mad. off he's being mad. being a playful wee monkey man. And uh, then, yeah, a couple of times, like he he touches some people, puts napkins on on Dominic West's head, I think, um, and Dominic, it's instantly making Dominic West nervous. And to be honest, it's making me nervous the whole time. Probably in part because I've watched enough films to know this is going somewhere horrible. Uh, but it's just Terry No uh, Terry Notari is uh, <laughs> Terry Notari Terry Notari. Is just so, he just gives himself so much to it that, honestly... Yeah, he's 100% committed. That man knows how to monkey. And, yeah... But so, uh, Dominic West, his character is called Julian, and he, apparently he's based on Jury, Julian Schnabel, who directed, uh, like, the... What's it called? The Diving Bell and the Butterfly and... Uh, huh, really? Basquiat. He di- uh, yeah, he directed Basquiat. Uh... Yeah, so and because he was an artist originally before he became a film director, and apparently he dresses quite frequently in pajamas with some kind of coat over the top. That's like quite quite typical Julian Schnabel clothing. But I just wondered if like if this was a comment on Julian Schnabel as well that apart from sort of maybe knocking him a little bit, saying like, well, or, or is it a comment on art that like this? He this artist is immediately had no time for the monkey performance art. Um, He's just like fuck this. Or or is there an expectation that artists should have respect for other art? I don't know. No, because because the point was that he was talking. That there was there's a voiceover played in the room before the before uh, Oleg starts running around as a monkey, basically saying like anyone who breaks off from pack behavior will be taken out and he was immediately and uh so julian was immediately like or pretty quickly was kind of like laughing at it and talking and joking around with the person next to him i feel it's nervous laughter i i feel i i don't reckon? i don't feel it's, i think like he's automatically uh kind of frightened that's how i felt about it um i i think i would have been too um i would not have been comfortable in that room yeah i would but i would never have entered that room I don't yeah, know. I it looks like there. it looks like the sort of place the food would have been pretty good. To be honest, yeah, I'm sure the food's good, but then you also have a, a monkey man potentially violating you. His uh, c- the could have been a contender section of his performance is when he just uh, just crosses the room and jumps up on that table. Yeah, and you're just like <laughs> fucking hell. But that's 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 when the gloves the gloves are off. Oh At that my. point, you're like, oh shit, anything can happen. Yeah. Now. Oh, it's nuts. Um, and then, but, of course, uh, w- uh, w- I think we need to deal with the ending of this scene. 
Yeah, yeah, we're getting to it. Then he starts uh, okay. s- sniffing at the pretty lady whose husband does yeah. not help her. She's scared. At first I thought she's being nice to him and she's going to tame the beast or something. And then mm, you can kind of... I ki- did not think that. And then you can kind of see, oh, God, she's very frightened. And then... This is where I thought... I thought the... He, I thought Oslin was going to push it further here. I, I thought it might go even further than it did, which was like to the point of almost rape. Well, it does get to the point of almost rape. That's what I mean, but I thought it would maybe even go further than that. What, like Because I wasn't sure exactly what Oslin was he'd going get his to willy go for. Out. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Well, thank goodness he didn't. I don't think that, I think yeah, we had indeed. a I think we had a willy free movie this time around, didn't we? Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, uh, it, yeah, I think on on both or maybe on both films, right? We made it through the week. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember them. Yeah, because I, I I've been watching um, Westworld, which is of course Willy heavy. Uh, so I've got yeah. more more than enough Willy in my life at the moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then so then he pins this uh, young lady to the ground who's screaming for help, and eventually this old hero comes around and twacks. Uh, your man and then of course you've got the whole crowd mentality thing which also Some, someone play- screams i i feel like someone screams let's kill him yeah they do yeah kill him <laughs> and i it feels like they are going to kill him yeah and then afterwards you've got a homeless person under a, yeah. a plastic sheet uh and i'm using just, a phone for a split second i'm like is that the guy yeah <laughs> I, I thought i indeed thought they'd like dumped his body at, at, like out the back of the, the uh, gallery the stockholm art world pulls no punches uh, well it does i mean that but then so yeah it does i was wondering where Oslin was going to go with that afterwards but it's just left they just leave it and they never refer to it again that's why it feels like that scene almost functions as its own. That vignette feels like its own little short story. Like it could, it that could that could be its own thing, or it could be part of a completely different story. Yeah, because I suppose... after after that, Christian goes back to his his flat with his kids, mm-hmm. and it looks like it might be a different night. And that's when he he meets the the young boy. Well, you've got a juxtaposition there. Um, You've got uh, Mm. an unusual little juxtaposition um, in that, uh, well, first of all, the kid pretty much makes, uh, seems to make Christian as nervous as the monkey man makes the crowd. But also, um, when Christian comes out of his flat and hears the little boy screaming for, because yeah, okay, a bit of context, the little boy confronting him in his lobby, he follows him up, to his flat he tries to get rid of him and he ends up pushing him down the stairs goes inside his apartment he hears the kid calling for help and then christian goes comes out of his apartment and sees are his neighbors going to help yeah and that is kind of a reference to the way that eventually the monkey man gets taken down because only once one person starts then everybody starts um and there's a name for this um sort of psychological but like the effect. bystander syndrome or Something bystander like that, effect yeah. that type of thing i'm sure there's a more scientific name than in that. general though yeah that that you could slap that scene with the monkey man into any um any film you like it's kind of like it's it's almost like um, yeah it would be good in schindler's list <laughs> it's, it's like you know uh, forgetting sarah marshall Yes. You know at the end when you just get the, the Dracula music? Yeah, like, like Muppet. Yeah, the, the like Dracula. Like for free? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I enjoyed the movie and now yeah. you're giving me this? Thanks, guys. Um, yeah. I suppose that, that would be... Because I would have enjoyed this film a lot still without this scene. But this scene is just... Yeah, it elevates it's, it. It's, but then it's funny because that like all the marketing is based on... the Like all the imagery of the film 
is basically this scene of Terry Notary on the table or like being a monkey man. Like that's how the film seems to be marketed. And that's kind of, I think just from what I'd read about it, like just the basic blurb before watching it, I was like, oh, it's going to be mad. It's going to be like this kind of crazy slapstick and it's all going to be, there's going to be some chaotic things happening. But in reality, it was mostly just that one scene that had that. Well, that's Extreme a that's level. a pinnacle of like, like so you've got all the 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 chaos and confrontation on, on and violence of a physic like visible poverty around your city. Um, I suppose that's that in a way is kind of what that is getting at, what what that's trying to represent. But I really think like I I think it's there for that reason, but I I think that that. There's no way he could have possibly predicted how good that scene would have been in the end. I don't think. Um, mm. Well, who the, who the fuck am I talking? Like, I, maybe he, maybe he <laughs> did, but like, you know that once you've shot that, even if it does, even if it fit in fits in with the themes of the film, it just stands out so much. Mm. Like it's just like, and it it do, I do think it fits in with the themes of the films, but it's just my like the the level of tension going on in it is just insane. There's nothing nothing else in the film touches it. Yeah. And so after he kicks, after he pushes the young boy uh, down the stairs, he hears this little voice crying out for help, hmm. and then he goes down. He goes like back down the stairs in his apartment building and the boy's not there which made me wonder if this which again linking to later on yeah like what's the deal but obviously this his kids did see this boy so we're assuming that this boy does exist plus earlier the boy was very angry angry with michael in the in the uh convenience store Hmm. in town so this this kid definitely exists yeah yeah, then so christian goes goes down and picks out the 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 kid's uh, phone number out of the rubbish so he's like uh, that's a beautiful uh, little old, shot isn't it old rubbish bags yeah he's a uh, good kind of ripping open uh rubbish bags to to try and find the the kid's number which he does eventually find and then he tries to call the kids but doesn't get through and then records this this uh, video message saying like, well, I'm sorry about what I did. Like Super after he's already guys. tried to kill the, yeah. After he's already tried to kill the boy being like, yeah, I'm, you know, now that I've thought about my actions, I am sorry, by the way. Yeah. So in the press conference, we get the whole meaning mm. of the film, etc. It's mm-hmm. probably the most on the nose. The film gets is that a uh, press conference. Everything else is, is, is much more nuanced. Um, and right. then we've got the odd ass cheerleading scene where the kid gets injured and the yeah I don't really understand the cheerleading scene because they show this the coach of the cheerleading mm. team so both of the daughters seem to be into cheerleading Christian's daughters are into cheerleading and one of them is receiving a a, a speech from the coach who appears to be like from the U S or something mm. and uh, is Christian from- is. Christian is just yeah that makes sense. Christian is just sitting there watching uh, the cheerleading coach give the speech to the girls, and it feels like we're supposed to take some message from this. Uh, I couldn't decipher why it was. Yeah, I couldn't either. He's, he's going to be, be a good dad now, or it was he's it, learned it, his lesson. I, I'm uh, like, <laughs> I in general like films on location. 
that seemed to be showing you something real that I would have never seen otherwise. Mm. So I was happy enough yeah. just watching that, to be honest. I didn't really get much of a deeper meaning of it, uh, from it. But one thing that I did Fair enjoy enough. was then when we got when he went to the kids' apartment building and we got to see inside the worst apartment in the world, that guy uh, who opens the door with the long hair and the camouflage jacket. <laughs> I... holding, holding a cup of beans. <laughs> <laughs> and using a using a sausage to scoop the beans into his mouth. Okay, that might be a reference to something else. <laughs> My favorite line. Sorry, this is an I'm Alan Partridge reference, guys. Crispy here, 1990s series two, I believe. Uh, my favorite line from that is when he asks for a spoon and he's like have you not got a spoon and he says it's in the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) which there's so much meaning in that like in that kind of house a spoon that makes it into the bathroom never makes it out again nobody (laughs) nobody is ever using that spoon again Uh, yeah very good um, there but yeah then we get to see into the saddest apartment in the world Uh, and the guy says that his ex-wife comes around once a week to clean it's so grim I really wasn't paying attention to this part. I, like, maybe my life is going in a different direction because it didn't look that bad to me. <laughs> was, for me, that's a move up in the world. I would like to move into some kind of Stockholm. A Stockholm slum is better than probably 99% of the world. Mm, oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> Look at you. Nice, uh, who's who is, who is the middle class now? Who's the... Who's who? You are the one who's looking down on people now. Oh, totally. That like that's that's one of the it things. Not I, me. That's one of the things I enjoyed about the film is uh, what are the, like I enjoyed the fact that there were would probably be a bunch of people watching it thinking that Ostland had uh, written a character for you to actively disapprove of. But I got the distinct feeling that Ostland totally appears of Clisbang and all the crack he's having throughout the film. I feel like uh, from what I read about it, uh, Oslin was like, it's a flawed character. Don't be too hard on him. And I think part of that, I mean, there was a there's a, a little section that I played some of the audio from earlier, which is where um, uh, Elizabeth Moss is, is talking to Cliss Bang. So Anne is talking to Christian about him using his position of, of power to sleep with women and he's basically saying like yeah well what if i am and i want to conquer you so i think to a certain extent like uh oslin is presenting like a, a flawed character but saying maybe we shouldn't be too hard on him yeah i don't know if because this this was written before <sighs> I, I don't even want to get into the cancel culture <laughs> you're not gonna <laughs> say the m word clear you're not gonna say i'm the... not gonna say any of these things um i'm gonna stay away from all of that i'm gonna cut that even <laughs> Oh, don't cut it. Um, no, I, I like. I I do think there's there's like, yeah. I think Oslin is consciously making an effort to go against some grins because yeah. In 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 mm. that little speech, Christian says, "Why is that so hard to admit for women that that, that you might be turned on by power?" Uh, yeah. And I think like yeah yeah like I I get Christian's message there and, and the lady getting frustrated with him, and he's kind of going, "Well, yeah, don't make me say it." Do you know, I have actually heard that about Swedish culture from Irish people who have lived there, that um, promiscuity is greatly approved of, but like Mm. bringing it up emotionally after, not so much. (laughs) 
I have well, actually heard I, that from from two different two separate parties. A Swedish person is yet to have an emotion, and I can say that <laughs> as as a Scot. <laughs> He's closely following afterwards. You glad you watched it? You gonna watch Force Majeure? I w- yeah, I'll watch. For- How long is Force Majeure? That's my first question because uh, it's another long one. At- Square is one hundred and fifty-one hours, one hundred and fifty-one <laughs> weeks. You, did it feel long to you? One hundred fifty-one minutes, but nah, actually, it, it moved along because it is just telling like a series of little stories. Uh, yeah, no, I, I honestly, I wouldn't have cut Christian's a minute life. from it. It's fine. Uh, Force Majeure is two hours minutes. long. That's fine. Two hours is okay. At, at the the length of films we've been watching. Oh, this is uh, this is what I liked. Oslin said for the general release of the film, he cut two minutes forty-three seconds, uh, just so that it, just to sharpen the final thirty minutes. Hmm. I sped it up a little. I wonder what he cut. I sped it up a little. I would have cut just sh- probably chunks out of that press just, conference anyway. Yeah, and the cheerleading. Maybe it was another, you know, almost three minutes of cheerleading that you missed out on. Or that whole bit where he... Actually, there's one scene in it that makes little sense except for uh, showing, again, Christian interacting with the homeless where he gets that guy to watch his bags. Yeah, that's... And then he's he's like, my daughters are missing or something. And uh, that doesn't really pay off in any way that I can recall. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd one. Um... How many? How many? Uh, how many Andy stars does it get? I have not worked out any ranking system yet. I would say I enjoyed it enough, but I would never watch the film again. Hmm. I would go and watch the Monkey Man scene, though. I will happily watch the Monkey Man scene on its own. I would you watch? Uh, the, I don't. Would you watch I don't the, have any need to revisit this. Would you watch uh, the sweaty Elizabeth Moss uh, sex scene? Not really. I think it's quite funny. I think it works like the way it's shot is is funny, but it's not some again not something that. I need yeah, to I think you actually might have hit the nail on the head. Too. I would, like I might watch. I wouldn't mind watching it with um, with Belen just to see what she she'd think because I actually did. I quite enjoyed it, and I would watch it again in a few years. But it'll take a few years, and I'm actually thinking about watching Force Majeure again now because I haven't seen that in a few years, and I remember really yeah. enjoying that. But that's what this. Uh, that's as much as this can get. But on the other hand, our next film is one that yep. the, yeah i have seen just the i this was the second time that i've watched the lobster um so i'm going to give this its little intro here uh, this is yorgos lanthimos's i believe fourth feature film um at the time it came out a greek filmmaker recently nominated for an academy award for the favorite he was nominated for best director came to international prominence with his um f- fantastic film which i would recommend but not for the faint of heart film dog tooth actually i don't think any of this director any of these this director's uh, films are for the faint of heart with the exception of maybe the favorite the favorite yeah the, yeah, the favorite is does have elements that are yeah i guess it is it's not for the squeamish either. but he did it but he he didn't pen the, the script to that i he mean didn't this write is it, it, indeed. the the lobster uh, is an oddity only it's only an oddity in that like the grander scheme of things but in the like yorgus scheme of things it's almost like it's more it's almost Standard. like the the essence <laughs> of his style and what interests yeah. him um this film kind of poses as like dystopian fiction uh, it's wikipedia page would say that that it's set in a dystopian future it's not really it's set in an allegory i think we can agree on yeah um which it, it, like that basically 
points a kind of a camera obscura at a modern human coupling in society relationships and, and dating yeah and uh, like how society has formed itself like all these kind of rules around what is essentially a biological mm. imperative and single people are cast out and the allegory it uses is not subtle it is set in a hotel where according to societal regulations you must find a mate within a month or so or you'll be turned into an animal of your choosing you can't masturbate it would help if you shared some a particular physical inhibition or deformity uh, and uh, there are also sworn single celibate outlaws who live in the woods who you can gain Loners. time to find a mate from by executing them so these metaphors are not subtle um, though they are certainly captivating for a time I would say um, mm. What do you think? What did you make of this? This is the second time so I is... watched it. Uh, I liked right. it a lot more this time than I did the first That's time. That's interesting. Go on. So, yeah, this is my first time watching this. So the first Yorgos Lanthimos. I don't know how to do Greek accent, so he's Swedish now. Yeah, so this is the third Yorgos Lanthimos film that I've seen. Uh, I watched Dogtooth when it came back uh, when it came out back in 2009. And... At the time, I remember watching it thinking, like, this is extremely disturbing. It's well made, but it's a very disturbing, like, dark tale about incest. Oh, it's intensely uh, disturbing. Yeah. The way that all Greek people live, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) I have no evidence for that, but it's (laughs) it's scientific fact. Um, Is it based on anything? It seems like it might be. I don't know. His his life. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I'm guessing it's like, I don't know if there's... It could it be some sort of Greek myth or I don't know. I haven't done enough research into Dogtooth and it's been a long time since I watched it. But that was the first Yorgos Lanthimos film that I watched. Then I saw The Favourite uh, when that came out about three years ago. And, uh, Which was excellent. And that was obviously, that's a great film. I loved it and it yeah, was, it was lauded and uh, critically very successful. Have you but seen The me, Killing of a Sacred Deer then? You haven't. No, not yet. No, I have not. So for me, like, this is the strange thing. It was hard for me originally to map the point between Dogtooth and The Favourite. That was hmm. like, uh, to, to, to see that progress. Yeah, I get didn't really, that. That was jarring. It was extremely jarring. But after watching The Lobster, it makes far more sense. And actually, if you, you fill in that blank between those two, it'll make even more sense again to you, I guarantee So Killing you. of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, yeah. Even for sure. Else. He does, he's got another film called Alps that I haven't watched, but that's about uh, Nor I. families families who have been recently bereaved can hire a person to play their dead relative for a fee to come in and help them deal with their grief. So I haven't I haven't watched that, but again, it sounds very Yorgos Lanthimos by all accounts. Um, I think the the lobster has a distinct feel of like almost a little bit like the casting choices they got to make in the square it's got a little bit of a feel of a uh, carte blanche like a lot of people and a lot of people i'll get to that in a second just decided but do you think that was is this from dogtooth or alps like uh, i would what, say it's got to be from the... dogtooth um because i right. just because i haven't seen alps um but i know dogtooth is uh, like a lot of people have seen dogtooth it was it, critically acclaimed and it's yeah. very memorable like i've only seen it once yeah. and i remember huge uh, yeah swathes of it uh, do you remember the dancing scene where they have to, yes oh my good god when she starts humping There's the ground it's disturbing. intensely disturbing There's a lot of disturbing images oh yeah very so disturbing. but this film this film as well i mean apart from it was filmed in ireland mm-hmm. uh almost entirely but it's funded from it seems to be money from about 20 different countries yeah yeah it's it funding from all over the place 
Yeah, yeah, and I remember seeing that. I've I've got it actually up here. It's got Ireland, United Kingdom, Greece, France, and the, and the Netherlands. So yeah, twenty countries as I <laughs> stated. That's a fact. But it made like, it but made uh, sixteen million. They did, yeah. Oh, well, okay. Nice. Oh, no. How much did it 14, cost? 14 million. Cost four 14 million. million. It made uh, right, eighteen. Nice. Um, yeah, and I feel like. Um, okay, maybe not carte blanche because I suppose all the money is in the cast, but a lot of people wanted to uh, work with uh, this guy clearly, and that's one one anybody who might complain of people using movie stars to to get movies made and so forth. It's not just to get movies made. I think this like like one thing it just it has going for it. One major trick it pulls off is star power. It's, it can name like in its supporting cast. Olivia Colman, Ben Whishaw, Rachel Weiss, John C. Riley, and Leia Sudo, with Colin Farrell yeah. taking up the lead. And like for anybody who's got any of the doubt, any doubts about how good casting agents are at like distilling um, charisma from the chaff, just take yeah. a take a look at this. Like because there's one one piece, um, piece in particular where Colin Farrell is chatting to in in this hotel. He's chatting to the let's say the the hot blonde girl. He says she has nice hair and, <laughs> and she's she's a beautiful lady. Um, but if you look at just the difference between them, Farrell is is like a different species to her. He's just a movie star, and there's there are normal looking people in this movie. And put next to movie stars, that's like that a lot that makes it work. Like without them, I don't know. Are you familiar it's... with the the Spanish like comic artist uh, Joan Cornea? Yes. Yeah. So. With without all these famous people, the the first it could essentially be a bunch of vignettes, a bunch of uh, comic shorts of his, um, but mm-hmm. they just elevate it until a point until about midway through where I think I've just about started to have enough of it, and then it gets interesting again to me. You you go on anyway. What were you saying? So yeah, like so this was my first time watching it. Uh, I guess we should go back and and start with the plot a little bit. So. Um, I, I, this is one of, <laughs> this has to be one of my all time favorite openings to a film. There's a, a character driving at speed in a car. Um, so oh, yeah. that's kind of, that's shot that. from in, a shot from inside the car of like her face, just as she's driving, kind of looking, uh, from profile, looking through the window. She is driving quite fast, gets out of the car. You see, she's holding a gun. She walks up to two donkeys in a field and shoots one of them in the head. Yeah. <laughs> and then goes back to her car. Who is that character? Because we I never see her again. That section. So it's just so then it's just establishing yeah. that a human could be angry at an animal who previously used to be a human. Yeah, yeah. It's just a like I mean, it could easily be a deleted scene, but it's just quite a yeah. quite an opening. Um Yeah. Uh and actually I think it's no, all all credit due to you for remembering it and taking note of it because I think it's almost there for people watching the film a second time because you, mm. it, it's just it's just mad. Um, well, I I I was so focused on it. I was like, she just <laughs> you threw a monkey in the sea. <laughs> she shot a donkey in the head. <laughs> she does. She does. She shoots a donkey right in his fucking head. Um, yeah, uh, and then we've got. Colin Farrell checking into this hotel. Um, there are uh, the, 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 the checking in scene. 
had one um, <laughs> had one uh, I, I think i know what you're gonna talk about uh when he about bisexuals <laughs> having several yeah. operational problems <laughs> what do you think those were i like <laughs> i don't i would i would i'm <laughs> I, I hesitate to i hesitate to guess i like when uh I like when they she asks him like, so would you like to be registered as a heterosexual or a homosexual? And he takes about he takes about thirty seconds going, hmm, I think I should be a heterosexual. Yeah, I think like he seems to have that um, delivery just beaten into his people. He's a, he's a ama- he's amazing. Colin Farrell is so good at doing these kind of like uh, these line readings. I he did a Farrell. bit of it in. He did a bit of it in in Bruges. Also, he did a few of these type of line readings. Why didn't you say hello to me the, uh, the other day when I said hello to you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. Yeah, all of all of those sections when he's is yeah when he's uh, uh, taking drugs in that film when he's snorting coke he has a, he speaks like that a lot. Do you know what I, I thought uh, was was quite funny as well? Uh, actually, in that uh, soon after the bisexual scene, uh, the bisexual line where he's just, he's talking about his brother, uh, like uh, says his brother was here and he describes him. And he describes a guy with like a long hair. <laughs> yeah, bald, maybe maybe you remember a bit of a paunch, <laughs> and he just describes a perpetually single person. Yeah, like <laughs> I just heard the description. He's pretty much that guy living in the flat in Sweden. Actually, that's that's his brother. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, Colin Colin Farrell looks Greek. Like they, he's quite tan. They've given him this kind of this dodgy mustache. Uh, I say that as someone who has a dodgy mustache, and uh, he looks Greek. Do you think? So I just what yeah, do, I feel like Yorgos Lanthimos greeked him like? up. He looks like a. Yanis Pappas, you know him, the American stand-up. He has a he has a character called Mr. Panos that is exactly look, looks exactly like that. It's a hundred percent him. It's just basically uh, Colin Farrell in this. Film. Very muff. Did you begin it's to just, wonder great, at the start man. why Rachel Weisz was uh, narrating? I didn't know that that was Rachel Weisz's uh, voice because I hadn't looked at the cast list. I knew you Colin moron. Farrell was She's in it. She's got such but... a distinct voice. Yes, I... but I I was just happy. I mean, if there's anything that we've established so far in these podcasts, is I love a narrator. I love it. I like being told you, what's you going do on. Like I being want my hand held. held. Yes, exactly. I like I like my hand being held by Rachel Weiss as she leads me through a nice forest. And one one thing I'm gonna uh, so upon like looking up the film, I went down a tiny little bit of a Rachel Weiss rabbit hole. A vice hole. You went down a vice hole. I went down a vice hole, and. I discovered that years ago she dated one of the men behaving badly. Oh, uh, which one? Neil Morrissey. Is he the fellow who was in Line of Duty? Yes. Yes, she she was uh, ah. dating Neil Morrissey, and then she was she was married to Darren Aronofsky. Yes, and I, 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 uh, Neil Morrissey grew up in like foster like orphanages essentially. Uh, so I just got to say to Neil Morrissey, if you're listening, um, props, man, Rachel Vice a babe. That's, I'm sure he'll be delighted with that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Although I didn't like his character in Line of Duty, a bit of a prick. Anyway, I uh, so you didn't wonder, what, uh, okay, you didn't wonder about that at all. I, I kind of did, because I suppose... No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I mean, at some point during the narration, she lets 
slip that they you know that they met that mm. she knows Colin Farrell's character. So let's let's talk through some of the uh, obvious allegories. Why do you think it's important for people to have the same impediment? Like uh, Ben Wishaw is looking for somebody else with a limp. Actually, one of the lines that I made just... me laugh out loud in the first half was uh, when John C. Reilly goes, "Have you seen John's leg?" <laughs> <laughs> that just made me laugh so loud. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> John C. Riley is is always great in comedy. Oh, he is. It's yeah, funny he... because when I I always like he I always saw him in in quite serious drama early on. Uh, in things I saw him in, like Magnolia and um, Hard Eight, and all that, like the Paul uh, yeah, but Thomas he's, Anderson. Stuff he's funny in all then. of those and, things. Yeah, I guess he is because he's like, like absolutely pathetic most of the time. He's just so a he big goofy Egypt. Like, yeah, but then the fact that he became, you know, like making one of one of the greatest comedies of all time, Step Brothers. Which exactly? Yeah. Come on, that's a classic. Oh, I love that's Step Brothers. Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Catalina fucking wine mixer, Dewey. Yeah, indeed. So like he was like the the char- the way that he plays that character is, you know, he has. Uh, Amazing comedy chops as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I think John C. Riley's terrific. Uh, but, but he does. He's an odd chapter. If you've ever heard, heard him interviewed, um, he never no. wants to talk about anything but his next picture, which is a pity because his next picture is often shit. Um, mm. I like. I remember I heard him on uh, WTF one time, and uh, Mark Maron was pushing a little bit for those old PTA movies, and he just wanted to talk about Holmes and Watson or some shit. Sure, oh God, yeah, that Sherlock Holmes thing. Did you watch that? No, 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 and I never will. And all right. Anyway, why do people want to pair up with people with the same deformity as them? That's got to be some allegorical meat. Well, I assumed it was just. Uh, I assumed it was a take on like modern dating of Tinder type thing of just matching up even you know matching up with interests of some basic interest as though that's like a reason to maintain a relationship with someone that you both enjoy you both enjoy doing one interest okay but then just but then just taking it in in another direction like putting a twist on it and making it like oh we've both got a limp or we both suffer from nosebleed like i assumed it was just kind of like reflecting that back in another way that unless you think the, the, yeah. Go, no, go on. What were you saying? Unless you, unless you think that is a good basis for a relationship, <laughs> that two people both enjoy doing one activity, like like I have I seen know. wheelchair couples around the place for sure. Um, yeah, that's true. So you went. You okay? We're going directly. That okay? <laughs> I, I, I'm speaking. <laughs> I'm being real. Um, There's too many wheelchair couples. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being real. <laughs> They've had That's it easy for too with, long. With with Ben Wishaw insisting on also get because so okay as as I've said they try to match up with people who've got inhibitions and deformities and so forth. Inhibitions is that okay? I I think so. I I've, I have it written down, so it must be. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, th- this is a little taste of the old uh, uh, Lant- uh, Lanthimos shock violence that you see in Dogtooth, where he um, whacks his face off the side of the oh, swimming man. pool. Oh the God! The sound and design. When he in does that. it on the table. Oh, when he does it on the table later, that really troubles me. Yeah, just the noise. He just violently smashes his head into a, a wooden table. Uh, yeah, it's awful. Poor Paddington. Oh, 
indeed. Oh, he's the voice of Paddington. He's the voice of Paddington. Yes. Ah, nice. Um. Yeah, that's right. And he uh, and he has a go at both. Um, uh, oh, in a, another hilarious scene, he has a go at both Colin Farrell and John C. Riley's animal choices. So they have <laughs> yeah. a, a big kind of a girl fight on the shooting range, which is quite funny. Um. Then you've got the uh, well, first of all. What's the name of the? What's the name of this? Uh, the writer, the lady from the the actor, rather the lady from um... from extras. Yes, I, 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 Ashley Jensen. Ashley Ashley Jensen. Yes, yeah, yes she's yes. Maggie in extras. Yeah. Uh, my God, what a sad, pathetic existence she has in this movie. <laughs> yeah, oh. it does. It, it it does end in in her horrible suicide. It does, yeah. And she doesn't <laughs> die. She's just there screaming. But, yeah. then, but then we get to see Colin doing a personality transformation to try and get in the pants of the ladies with no feelings, this, which has this, the yeah. funniest moment in the movie, which I'll lead up to. So immediately he starts going, <laughs> "I wish she'd shut off her her screaming." I hope, I hope she. I hope she. I hope she dies soon. No way, actually. I hope I hope it's really painful and <laughs> it's prolonged. <laughs> and then the lady <laughs> pretends she's choking on an olive and uh, yeah. she says she's a, she's a perfect match. But no, the funniest part in the movie by far is when then he has he is, he is uh, hooked up with the lady with no feelings. He runs it to Ben Wishaw and his nosebleed wife and their new daughter. <laughs> and he kicks the daughter and, and calls her a stupid little girl. Oh my god, it's so funny. Why would I? Why? Why? Why would I want to kiss a stupid little girl? I like. Uh, I I enjoy later on where when when he slept together with this heartless woman and she wakes up in the morning and tells him i kicked your dog to death yeah right good. she's just like i kicked your dog you kicked your dog to death and he's like okay good good i'm glad you did that he has to try and keep up the pre- the, the pretense and then he walks in to find like a disgusting scene where she's literally kicked oh, his dog yeah, to death it's tough isn't it and then he has to be like, "Oh, God, this is good. I'm glad you did that." Oi, it, it, that is uh, it's tough. And then it's another, yeah, it's another disgusting Lanthimos. Uh, fun fact: gonna cut into, gonna uh, jump into you here. Uh, Stephen Ryan was actually cut from this movie. Did you know that? Our, oh. our mutual friend Stephen Ryan, Irish comedian and what? history <laughs> what academic. Did, what, what did he play? He was a man at an orgy. Uh, and this is how this is how he describes it. He did the the scene twice, so he just had to be in a room and cup a lady's booby. Um, very frankly, uh, just uh, wow. He's had he's had he's had a hard life. Yeah, and then uh, basically, Yorgos Lanthimos um, left, shot it once from a few different angles, and then said to the only direction he gave was he wanted everybody to just get into different places of uh, of the room and then he shot it again and that was it but he got cut from the movie in the end but he did get to stay in so the wait, hotel i don't recall that scene at all was it's, that yeah, entirely cut, cut or did i miss it yeah, yeah the scene was completely yeah, exactly. cut from the, from the film so there you Damn. go um yeah i enjoy, i thought i mean i thought the world building was really good i think like it's quite i think the concept is explained extremely well and it's really believable like the world is lived in and you it's it's interesting and fun all the way through even though it's extremely dark i feel i just mean like the world 
you can understand the rules of the world as they set them up and they don't violate them. Uh, what's with the um, giving him blue balls on the bed thing? I mean, I think that just leads into the they're talking about masturbation will stop him from finding a, a partner. Mm. And there, but she says like this, this will help. So apparently, he has to be all riled up. He needs to be all riled up. Oh, that actually reminds me of my favorite line in the entire movie that occurs later in it, uh, where Colin Farrell says, "I was masturbating behind those trees over there." Yeah, my I, I in a very similar time around that. My favorite scene is where he's in. My favorite uh, Colin Farrell line is where he's in the. Uh, he's he's in the woods and he's feeling a bit jealous because Rachel Weiss's character and Michael Smiley's oh, trying yeah, to crack on Rachel rabbit. Weiss's character. He's give her some some rabbits and she's laughing and having a great time. And the maid who's run away from the hotel is talking to Colin Farrell, telling him a story, and he's not listening. He's not focused. So he's to get out of the conversation. He says, "I left some batteries by a tree down there, so I need to go and get them." <laughs> walks away. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm definitely going to use that to to exit conversation <laughs> conversations from now on. I left some batteries by a tree. I'm laughing a lot more in recollection of this film than I was when I was watching it. I have to yeah. say, um, it's, there's, it's funny. I laughed out loud a lot. It is quite funny. The one thing, what, right? So one thing I I will say is, towards the end of the first half of the film, it does start to feel a little bit like you you could be where 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 does it start to drag for you not then? quite drag because it actually picks up at the perfect time no maybe i don't know 45 in, minutes he, in let's say when he leaves is that when he leaves the hotel yeah yeah that's for me it just picked because and i'll tell you why for, like it starts to feel like it's going nowhere a bit like you're kind of watching just um it's almost like a series of installations you might see in christian's museum over in stockholm um just mm. about like little observations of, of like dating life and stuff you don't even yeah. re- feel, really need to watch them in any particular order but then he reached he meets uh, Rachel Weiss and they actually have just chemistry that completely saves the movie for me mm. um, and I actually be I got quite uh, I was really uh, into their love story and it gave me something to root for and I don't know why, but for some reason, the first time I watched it, it didn't affect me quite the same way. Maybe because I watched it on an airplane, but... Um, oh, that's never good. Um, I was actually... Do you know what's a, what are perfect films for airplanes? The Mission Impossible films. Flew to Madrid last... Uh, flew to Madrid last week, just watched an hour of Ghost Nation. Perfect. No mm, problem. I watched United 93. I find that... Uh, you did not good. find that yeah. on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I th- no, I think I might have. I haven't watched it on a plane, but I think I've seen it as an option. Oh, good God. I remember I saw that yeah. Denzel Washington film, Flight, on a plane. Flight, about- that's good. That, yeah. Where he flies upside down an and am- crashes into the ground. An amazing opening scene, sequence, rather. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Farrell runs into Rachel Weisz, and uh, if, if a courting immediately gets primitive, the way you chat up a, a lady is to bring her dead animals... Which was a nice touch, I thought. Um, but yeah, I, I I really bought into their chemistry straight away. I really enjoyed it, and then that kind of took me took me to the end of it. Um, I which... I did I enjoyed the I did I have a little clip to play of of uh, of Rachel Vice explaining the system of uh, of gestures that they came up with.
We've developed a code so that we can communicate with each other, even in front of the others, without them knowing what we are saying. When we turn our heads to the left, it means, I love you more than anything in the world. And when we turn our heads to the right, it means, watch out, we're in danger. We had to be very careful in the beginning not to mix up, I love you more than anything in the world with, watch out, we're in danger. <laughs> That's just <laughs> that's just quality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I suppose there are, there are actually plenty of gags in there, aren't there? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, They're pretty straightforward. Some of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so the, and then there's just bizarre, funny scenes. So he starts living with these single people in the woods after uh, he, the lady with no feelings, kills his dog. He. Changes her into some animal that he never reveals. Some animal that we don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then he... Maybe a rabbit. That'd be uh, appropriate. Then he goes off and lives with the woods people, the single people in the woods, who have to dig their own graves. Um, they're not allowed... Yeah. Uh, they're not allowed to hook up with each other or flirt or anything I like never that. really... I didn't really get the digging your own grave part. Only so in You're going to die like, alone, <clears throat> I suppose. I get that, but like... I understand that, but what I mean is like it 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 supposes some sort of cultural I don't know, some sort of cultural norm or idea that you that you have to clean up after yourself rather than just die and just be out and not actually buried. Hmm. <laughs> what I mean, what I mean is like the fact that they could just die and their bodies could just be littered across the ground, but they're actually Yeah. You know. Taking I, the I, effort to dig, to making the effort to dig their own grave. I suppose it emphasizes it might emphasize the idea of dying alone because that would be um, one of the main, like they're kind of embracing. Yeah, no, dying I mean, alone. I, I, I understand, I understand that that's what that's mm. what it means, like that that's why they have to dig their own grave. And then why but, are you oh, talking I guess, like a stupid wait, no, person? No, no, no. But I, what I mean is that, like, why do they care? Is what I'm saying. Like, why would the person care? But now, now I remember why. It's because they don't want to get their their corpse's face ripped off by some kind of wild dog. Good God! I I need to start talking like the characters from this movie. Um, just yeah, <laughs> I need to. I left some batteries <laughs> behind that tree over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, you've got uh, you've got all the people living in the woods doing their thing. He falls in love with. Uh, Rachel Vice. I can't remember what. How do they fall in love again? There's a particular moment. I think they saw each other. They <laughs> saw each other, and he was like, "Hey, it's Rachel Vice." Yeah, oh, yeah, she, hot. she's a hot piece. He's of much ass. better than Ashley Jensen, so I should yes, do that. Yes, indeed, Ashley Jensen, poor old sod, uh, just offering people. Is it because they're both short sighted? No, it's not because they're short sighted. But he likes that. Yeah, but it's not because they're short sighted. Yeah. That doesn't matter in the end. And then you've got Michael Smiley who. If he doesn't Michael get much, Smiley, my, my, wheels. much lines, I always feel he's wasted because I love Michael Smiley. I love him. He's I think, great. I think he's terrific in everything he's in. And he's, he's just yeah, he's funny. barely a peep out of him in this film. Uh, so then he, them and the single people, they concoct a terrorist act, which is pulled off very well. Um, he makes Olivia Coleman's husband give her a mob death, a, a fake execution, basically, which is uh, pretty terrific. Who's the yeah, husband? So he's, I've recognized the um, husband. But he's not listed in the main cast list here. Let me see. I, do, I recognize him. I feel him like from I've, saw him as, I've seen him as someone as well. Let's find out. His name is. What would he even be? 
listed as 70-year-old waiter. The waiter. No, 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 no. The 70-year-old waiter was the guy who does the version of Man Eats Alone. Oh. Uh, bald man? The like, I, yeah. I couldn't even have told you Colin Farrell's uh, um, character name. He's no. called David. I no, couldn't neither remember. Neither could I, actually. Uh, but the first, the first, the first lady uh, who appears is listed in the cast as Donkey Shooter. <laughs> nice, which is great. This is what she is. Have you ever heard of the the what is it? The, one of the more um, famous um, casting entries on IMDb is uh, the lady who plays woman who urinates on herself from Threads. Have you ever nice. heard of this? It's her, no. it's her only Wikipedia credit, but yeah, she's woman who urinates on herself from Threads, the nuclear holocaust dramatization. Hmm. Um, this guy, I'll tell you, his name is Gary Mountain. He was in Game of Thrones as Brusco, whoever the hell that is. He's not really been in much that I've must be Game been of in Thrones very, very few things. Um, yeah, I don't know the character at all, though. Yeah. So then, and the, oh yeah, and then he goes to Ben Wishaw's boat and reveals the nosebleeds are fake. Yeah. Why does he do that? Is he just like fuck Ben Wishaw? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think he, he just wants to point that out. This is kind of like autism. The movie. <laughs> 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 he just wants to go. He doesn't really have. I believe that's uh, called nosebleeds. Rain Man. No. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Um. He doesn't get nosebleeds. The, the, there's no real payoff to that. Like, we don't see Ben Wishaw getting dumped or anything. They're just... The, and, and the little kids who they've uh, uh, taken on with with their with their couple staying on the yacht is like, here's a knife. Mom, here's a knife. Kill that man. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, okay, so then... I, I'm just looking at IMDB, and I, see, I notice that Stephen Ryan is listed as an uncredited... Is uh, he? Hotel guest, he's put himself on it. <laughs> yeah, he's at the he's at the bottom. He's the last person on the on the IMDb cast. List. Did he add himself? I don't know. I'd say I'm he not did. A, Stephen, if you if you ever hear this, I'm not accusing you of that. Um. So then we have uh, wonderful scenes with them going into town and uh, Leia Sadoo's parents playing guitar for them. Wonderful guitar. Uh, to all credit to whoever played her parents. And then Colin Farrell yeah. and Rachel Weiss doing smoochy boochies like a pair of teenagers. I'm half expecting him to start fingering her. That was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, but uh, Leah Sedu got a bit annoyed. And bit uh, literally rips Rachel Weiss's eyes out. Uh, loads of that yes. going on in Greek mythology, people ripping people's eyes out, which is where I think they got the uh, idea. They decided to go for, the, go for it that way. Uh, the idea. I, like an eye. Yes, exactly. Then they run away through Kerry. And if you've seen yeah. so in the in the in the final scene then, um he the solution he because she's blind, he's short sighted, so he opts that he's gonna go blind for her. Um and he's there in the bathroom of a restaurant, she's sitting down oh my God. being blind, and he's got his his he's knife holding a steak knife and in his hand. Here's uh, the thing: getting ready to pierce his eyeballs. If you've seen Dogtooth, you are literally begging your television. Please don't show. I me was this. hiding. I'm hiding because yeah. I'm like, I was 99% sure that I was going to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His eye pop and eye juice go everywhere. Because that's like in Dogtooth when she uh, spoilers for Dogtooth when she whacks out her uh, her. Um, K 
canine, her, her uh, dog, with, yeah, her her her, dog her literal in, dog in the tooth. language of her father, um, she yeah hammers it out with a rock and an ice skate. Oh no, wait, that's Castaway. <laughs> Very similar film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? What? Anyway, she knocks it out uh, in the bathroom, and you see it. You get to see it. It's horrific. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah, afraid yeah. that was going to happen here. It did not, thankfully. Um, <laughs> long story short, yeah, I enjoyed this um, an awful lot more the second time I watched it. Um, yeah, um, I, I liked it. I liked it more than the square as well. Oh, I, really? I, really, I, I think I'm in the other camp. I prefer <clears> the square. That's funny because I think like the lobster for me is very, very is a film that I really, really like, but it just falls short of like greatness of why I would consider greatness. And I think partially it's because to, for me, it loses steam towards the end of this as it, as things play out and he goes to blind himself and even the ending kind of annoys me. Hmm. Why? I don't like, because he's about to blind himself. And then we go back to racial vice sitting at the table and they, you know, it's uh, about 20, 30 seconds of her sitting at the table, looking around looking out the window and looking at people, even though she's eyeless, really eyeless. And then she, uh, then it, it's a cut, it's a, another cut to black. So you don't like that it doesn't give us an ending? Is that what you're saying? She, she was holding my hand before when she was the narrator, and now she made me think for myself. <laughs> I don't like it. So you Tell like me that, what happened. Like that first cut of Blade Runner then? Yeah, I like I like a narrator. Have you I ever mean, actually seen the first cut of Blade Runner? I've never seen it. Many many moons ago, when it was probably on video. Yes. Huh. Um. Right. Well, we're in opposing camps there. In that because yeah, I loved the square. I like really. I and I laughed a lot during it as well. I found it hilarious. Um. I d- I laughed a lot during the square. I laughed a lot during both films. Yeah. In what are not sort of like straight up obvious comedies i mean they are comedies but they're not you know like balls to the wall comedy and yeah i find myself laughing a lot which i normally don't laugh that much because i'm joyless sure uh who isn't these days (laughs) these days these pesky days uh yeah all right well i mean a good lot of movies they do well in a double bill as well uh wait so you know you have no answer to my oh what was your question you don't that didn't bother you well just about the whole fade to black at the end no 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 what does the ending of the lobster mean to you anything Um, he's just going to blind himself and now he's with her because i think it's i think we got a happy ending which i actually i guess i think when they were wandering their way down the road away from the uh like uh hiding from the buses and stuff i literally wrote down in my note i was like please give me a happy ending i want a happy ending i'm that is like uh where i feel some films when they're big and serious something like heat it doesn't give you a it doesn't give you a happy ending but heat owes you nothing do you know what i mean um Whereas there's some films where I'm just pining. I'm like, just don't fucking bum me out, please. Like I recently watched a Ben Affleck's movie about him being an alcoholic, essentially, called The Way oh, Back. Yeah. Uh, what's it called? The Way. The Way Back. The Way Back. And on it, like, the, uh, spoiler for this, but uh, you could probably figure it out with any of the marketing for the film. Uh, he's a high school basketball coach. Uh, they get like they get to their big game to make it into the playoffs. 
and it all goes rather well but he's still an alcoholic and you're you're because of the way it's been marketed that ben affleck was like it was very cathartic for him you're really waiting for him to hit bottom and i I watched it in the cinema and i was just thinking like can you just stop the projector now that they've won the big game because i i don't want this bottom stuff (laughs) oh you didn't want to you didn't want to watch bad things happen to ben affleck yeah because the film just didn't it didn't grip me that much so i would have been just happy with a sports movie happy ending i like a sports movie happy ending i do and in the case of this as well i felt like we got a happy ending i was happy with that i feel like no matter how invested you got in their story, it's a non-story. It's an allegory. And that's the thing, actually, as well, in general. In general, I'm difficult to win over with a fucking allegory movie. I'm not mad for them, to be honest. I'm not mad for deep, heavy allegories. Um, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, thinking of Rachel Weiss and her uh, ex-husband, uh, is Mother, the Darren Aronofsky. Oh, I hated that, that film. Regard. I absolutely despised Mother. Oh, it's fucking... I did not like it one bit. I found it, like, hard work, heavy going, no fun whatsoever. No, So heavy-handed. And then once you kind of consider that, like, the art, like... uh, Christopher McQuarrie's been trying to make an Alexander the Great biopic for years. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mother looks like it has a fucking bit of money in it, to be honest. And it's just, like... It basically... Yeah, and that's the thing as well. About I think twenty minutes in, I know exactly what's happening. I, I know. Hated, yeah, and once I figured it out, I hated it. Oh yeah, instantly. And the marketing built it as a cool kind of a psychological yeah. horror movie. Oh, he fucking yeah. hated that. But yeah, that's the thing. Is like Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz. Um, it's not necessarily save it, but like they improve this. They they bring it above. A completely allegorical status and they give it a little bit of heart and i'm i'm in it with them um i mean i i actually think yeah once again just demonstrates like star power uh like anybody like like leah sudo in it even i'm actually i even feel a little bit for her because i mean she's visiting her parents and so forth and she's clearly a little bit lost in the world um but yeah, when it came, like the ending that uh, Rachel Weisz and Colin Farrell got, I was fine with that. I was like, okay, yeah, that, like I, I don't think we. Were, what else do you want from the film? Like, yeah, I guess that's it. You just want Rachel Weisz to say, and then everything was all and right. Then everything was all right. Uh, I don't know what her accent no, was, you're not but yeah, I, d- I don't know. No, I, d- I don't know. I think I just I'd stopped caring about those characters. Maybe uh, by that point. Fair enough. Now, unfortunately, uh, I have got. I went uh, on my movies to watch list last week and picked out something that is quite lengthy again and foreign and heavy. So we're going foreign and heavy again. Okay. So in a weird, what is your choice? My choice is a Russian. I think twenty fifteen film. I'm going to say or twenty fourteen, maybe. I think it's twenty fourteen. Leviathan. Um, Leviathan. With. Now, see, when you originally uh, floated this idea to mm. me, I wasn't sure which Leviathan it was because there's a 2012 documentary called Leviathan, which is about fishing. And I originally <laughs> thought it was that because I, nope. the, 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 I've, there's also, there's this Leviathan, there's a 1989 Leviathan as well. There are these three films called Leviathan. I do vaguely remember hearing about this Russian film, um, which again, it does look like it's going. To, it's very dramatic. It's very dramatic. I think it's going to be a heavy movie. Um, 
if you want, I can Why switch to something lighthearted because I've wanted to watch it for years. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, fine. No, no. I, I like, I like the this podcast provides an obligation to watch films. Yeah. Um, for me, so that's the way that I'll get them watched. And there you go. And like, uh, yeah, you're, I bet you're glad you've seen the square, right? Yeah. Uh, plus yeah. 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 No. I've I've heaps of films on and, here and as well. the lobster. I'd never watched the lobster before. So but I'm anyway, uh, so you, you, mine okay. Is so Leviathan, your choice was Leviathan. And you? Mine is my choice is Stanley Kubrick's The Killing. Following on from having watched Barry Lyndon and me saying that I had never seen The Killing, it seemed appropriate to choose one of those films of a uh, high caliber, uh, critically acclaimed, to to uh, to wager against uh, a hefty russian drama sweet well let's do it and then. the killing wait let's just have a quick check have you got a coin there because i, I feel like i have a coin flipping yeah i feel like i've been flipping all the time the killing is 85 minutes people oh come fucking on. tidy <laughs> <laughs> come on the killing <laughs> Oh, God, I have no idea how much I'm rooting for the killing right now. <laughs> uh, oh, so I have a head of Cervantes and uh, let's call the numbers tails. Um, okay. I want to be the head of Cervantes, please. So you're going to be head. Very good. Okay, here we go. The head of Cervantes wins. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, the, the fix is in, folks. <laughs> All right, it's the killing. The fix is not in. Honestly, I would have. Yeah, no. I'm gonna have I, integrity I know, I just, with I, this, but I like. This, this, did you this, hear the relief the in my first voice? Time. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I haven't done the toss, and I now I'm feeling the lack of power and control. Oh, there you go. Well, you can you can get in the next one, Andy. I promise you. Uh, okay. No, no, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll toss we'll toss one about. We'll toss each other. It's fine. We'll toss each other off. It's all good. We'll toss each other off. Exactly. That'll be great. Um, so you, because the killing was my choice. So what is the accompanying film? The accompanying five-hour documentary to go with it? Uh, yeah, basically, I'm gonna go with uh, the making of the killing. <laughs> is the one I've decided <laughs> to go with. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not going to go with uh, The Making of the Killing. I am going to go with John Borman's film Point Blank. Oh, nice. Lee Marvin. Yes. I've, old school. I've actually never I've, seen I've Point Blank. I've seen this before. I've, oh, I've seen, I've seen Point Blank. Uh, well, but I've I seen it. The Killing. It's a good film. That's, nice film. That's great. Okay, and go. I'm actually going to zero in on point, 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 point Blank right now for, uh, nice. for a running time. Uh, oh, it can be long. It is ninety-two minutes. minutes, fuckers. You can't say <laughs> yeah. fairer than that. Eighty-five. I could, I could and get 92. these. I could get these done in one day. <laughs> oh, this would be unbelievable. Yeah, like, do you know what? No matter how arty and European the film is, if you sit down to watch something that's one hundred and fifty minutes long in the morning time before you go to work, Oof. you feel like a fucking slob. You do. <laughs> um, this I can pull off on my commute. Uh, nice. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, all right. Well, uh, that'll be it for uh, for killing and point blank for Classy. for the killing and point blank and for call it friendo this week. Um, Indeed, yes, and uh, we'll include um, links to all of the uh, pop culture references we put up in this episode. <laughs> yes. Watch watch Alan Partridge. <laughs> watch Alan Partridge, season basically. one and two, and everything else. Sweet, sweet. All right. Goodbye and good luck. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.